Did you ever wish you could get a do-over for life? When it comes to parenting, let me tell you what, I could have done over the do-over over and over and over, and I didn't know how. And now, to help us learn how, I've got one of the smartest women I have ever met and somebody who I dearly love. So how to fix what you messed up. <sighs> and we're never done being a parent. So it doesn't matter how old your kid is. Come on, let's play. Dr. Barney, do you have the power to turn on your camera and unmute your microphone? <laughs> Come on into the studio. There you are. Yes, I do. <laughs> how wonderful. That's really, I am well, I am well, and I am very, very excited to have you on the show. So tell me, oh gee, I just, I want to go there. What's the biggest, hairiest, scariest thing you did today? What? Oh. Okay. Well, you just went right there, didn't you? Okay. Um, I should expect nothing less. Well, actually, you can pause. You can introduce yourself to everybody. Yeah, we can take it a little slower. But there was just something I was like, I have to ask this question. <laughs> there are multiple answers to that question. But I, uh, if, uh, it's a close tie. So for the biggest, hairiest, scariest things I did today, I uh, had a conversation with my son, who's getting ready to start college. And, you know, really talking about what was important to both of us about that and how I needed him to step up in terms of what was happening. Got it. The uh, was one. And it was not the best conversation to have while getting ready to do a talk because <laughs> but it needed to be done. It couldn't be postponed. It had been postponed a few times. So, um, and then the other thing was, you know, uh, getting ready for this, because as you know, I'm formally launching this new aspect of my business um, about the parenting do-over. And while it's something I've been doing, developing for 10 years and actively doing myself for 10 years, and like you, I could do it over and over and over and over again. And I already want to do over the conversation I had today, <clears throat> although I'm very proud of the conversation I had. Um, it, uh, you know, getting ready and getting the, the, um, the guide that I'm putting together for part of for this talk to share with people was a, a, a big, hairy, scary deal, <laughs> getting it all down on the paper and organized. And, and I'm pretty, I'm, I will say that I'm pretty proud of how it came out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I know that everyone who gets it, well, especially once we get into this and they understand what's so powerful about it. So, you know, it's so funny that <laughs> this is what you've been doing. You've been helping parents figure out how to fix what they've done wrong for how long? Well, for 31 years, technically. <laughs> Because I started my 
uh, my adult career as a pediatrician. And I did that for 16 years before my health forced me to not do it anymore. And so I've been doing this since day one of my first real job. And, um, and it's kind of amazing to say that that was 31 years, but it, it has been 31 years. And uh, so I've been doing it in one form or another for a long time. And I, I learned the very hard way that I didn't really have the tools to help people do it successfully or to do it myself successfully through my, through my pediatric training. Oh, okay. So now that, that makes sense. The, the, what, but no, wait, maybe explain it to me because as a pediatrician, you didn't have the tools to help parents fix what they had messed up. I thought I, I thought I did. I thought I should. Mm. Should being one of your favorite words, I know, right? Um, it never occurred to me that I didn't. So until I until I lived, um, until I lived the disaster of having my health. crumble overnight during my second pregnancy and the subsequent 10 years before I could find any useful help for restoring my health and seeing what that did to me and my family and recognizing that um, I didn't know how to do it because almost nobody knows how to do it. It's not something our parents knew how to do. It's not something we were taught how to do. And I think it's a major omission in society. I, you know, we, if, you, if you look um, at indigenous people, there's a rich tradition of each generation teaching the next generation and being involved in the next generation and a focus on health and sustainability and positive outcomes. But that doesn't exist in, in our Western culture as much as I think most of us want it to or believe that it might. Well, I won't argue that point. I'm absolutely um, credit, if you will, the loss that we've experienced because we no longer have as many multi-generational meals because it was at a multi-generational meal that kids got the idea that you could have a disagreement without it destroying a relationship. And so, yeah, we, we really have lost this whole cultural thing that is still so strong among indigenous peoples. So- Well, I think, you know, one of the things I've always said about illness, which I'll also say about, so about physical illness, which I'll say about all health in general. So mental, emotional, spiritual, <clears throat> relationship health, all of that is <clears throat> just because something's common doesn't mean it's normal or empowering and positive. And I think we've you know, because we've lived centuries of 
very stressful lives with wars here and wars there and people really scraping to survive, we haven't until recently done two things. One is create uh, a society where survival was no longer the only thing we could really focus on. And two is, um, uh-oh, <laughs> train of thought slipped away. It'll come, it'll come back. Um, we do know that that's understood. We haven't understood until the last, I mean, I think it really didn't get looked at until the last four years, and we haven't really started to understand it until the last, I dare say, 10 to 15 years. The effect of trauma on children and how long lasting that is and how we can't just get over it. And, and this is where, <clears throat> this is where the, the parenting do-over really comes in is understanding what are the many different things that cause us trauma. And I'm not talking about the big, huge traumas that, that our minds go to. I'm not talking about war and abuse and fires or death of a loved one. I'm talking about the little daily cumulative traumas. Um, these are called the little T traumas in the, in the language of trauma and from the um, adverse childhood events study. The things that adults think, um, the things that we think we ought to be able to shake off, but which most of us don't have the skills to shake off. And if we don't have the skills as adults, kids don't have the skills. We can't teach our kids what we don't know. Yeah, they can't catch it from us if we don't have it. Yeah. Got it. Okay, so the, the power of understanding the little t traumas with, without going off too much into the science, the, the ACE program, the Adverse Childhood Experiences, shed a big light on the fact that adverse doesn't have to be major things. It, it just, it really are the slings and arrows of daily misfortune. Um, and so we accumulate them. And as parents, sometimes we cause them and it doesn't have to be big things. Again, I agree with you, it doesn't. The constant correcting of our kids in the um, service of helping them understand the world, helping them learn a new skill. This constant correction can build up these little T traumas as well. And I didn't know that. Well, there's so there's so many things that can. And I, <clears throat> you know, I say, excuse me. <clears throat> I hold that all good parents mess up their kids <laughs> unintentionally. <clears throat> and we frequently don't even know we're doing it. Mm. Um, but it happens. And it happens because our parents did the same to us, again, unintentionally. You know, another thing I hold is that <clears throat> everyone does their best in every circumstance with the skills and tools they have and the level of resourcedness they have in that moment. So 
we can all use more skills and more tools. And what, what really gets us in trouble is that we expect ourselves to be our best in every moment. And when we say, when we're stressed, whether it's physical stress or emotional stress from personal stuff, from work stuff, it doesn't matter. We can't do the best that we can do when we're well rested and relaxed and happy. And, but we all, we tend to judge ourselves on what should have been our best, what we know we've been able to do or what we think we should be able to do. And and that causes a lot of, of, of disconnect and frustration and guilt and, and worry and self-beat up. And so what I what, what the parenting do-over is really about is about recognizing that parents have unresolved traumas that have created habits in them that are causing them distress, causing them to not be their best, which then get passed on to their kids because they don't even know or they don't know how to change those things. And, and so my goal is to help people get the skills and the tools and know how to have themselves be more resourced in every moment. So seeing ourselves as um, capable and resourceful is a great gift. And that's really, I think, one of the major things. With what you're talking about, about parenting, I'm going, yeah, creative, capable, and resourceful. I remember when that phrase first came across my world. It was a couple of decades ago. And it, uh, I think it was from the book, Nonviolent Communication, if I'm not mistaken, that if we started viewing other people as creative, capable, and resourceful, we could stay out of trying to fix them quite so much. I didn't get that I was supposed to apply that to myself as well. So I've had to, to do some do-over work on myself. We, this idea of generational unresolved trauma, that our parents had their own unresolved, and they could be tiny traumas. They could be not just little T's, but tiny T's. Yeah, and, but they're cumulative. And we're passing them down is what I'm getting from you. It sounds like we're passing them down. I, I think the bottom line is they get unintentionally passed down until we become intentional about not passing them down. Got it. Okay. So right. the, default, the default is that they get passed down until we're aware of them and make a conscious effort to um, address the situation. All right, so we are now in the world of aware because everyone listening to this is aware that there might be something they've messed up that they want to now get a do-over on. So if somebody's aware that they, they there's something they want to do over, what's the first step in a do-over? Well, the first step truly is awareness. <laughs> Yeah, well, after that, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But, but you know, the first step is assessing. You okay. know, really understanding where you are and where your family is and where you want to be instead, 
what you're aiming for, what you'd like to see be better, different, presumably better. Yeah, I was going to say that's pretty much a big stop. So I'm going to I'm going to pause just to unpack that a little bit because I'm, I'm I can hear my brain wanting to dismiss this conversation, and I think it's a really important conversation. The idea that every parent has things that they would do over if they could. I think that that's part of the parenting dilemma. There are the moments that we weren't fully present, you know, things we just do. You know. And again, we're not necessarily talking about the big stuff here. We're talking about the little stuff. So every parent has things that they might want to do over. And even if they're aware of that, they may not understand why it's important to do that. So let's deep dive there for just a minute. What are the problems that show up if, parents don't address the things that they messed up? Yeah, the problems that show up are, are wide-ranging and, and really significant. And uh, that was one of the things I really put a lot of thought into in creating uh, my guide. And, it, and in, in making that list, I also came up with a, a beautiful process for how parents can assess whether they not they really want to, why they would want to do a parenting do-over. Yeah, that was that's so why they want to do a parenting do-over. I, I had another, you know, part of me, my brain is when I had a rough enough time parenting the first time, why would I want to do this over again? Well, and let's be clear, we're not doing it over again. We're not going back. None of us want to relive that. Oh. <laughs> right? But, uh, and we can't, like, we don't have time machines yet, so we're off the hook. So the parenting do-over really is a, is, a, is a conscious decision that you want to change the trajectory that your family's on, that you're, you're seeing the writing on the wall, that things are not the way you want them for your own life, and maybe setting your children up to have some unnecessary struggles um, in their own lives. And, and we all have to struggle. We learn best through struggle. The struggle is inevitable, but but we don't have we, we as parents we don't want to be contributing to the struggles that our children have. We want to be setting them up with the tools, skills, and mindset to handle the struggles that come from elsewhere with the best outcomes for them. So. Some of the things that happen, uh, or I made a list of the ways good parents unintentionally mess up their kids. And it's really by, it's how the parents act because children learn through modeling, right? It's what you say and it's what you do, but it's, you know, it's what you really say, not what you tell them to do. <laughs> so some of the consequences are your kids developing unhealthy uh, eating, sleeping, and exercise habits that set them up for higher risk for health problems, physical health problems. Got it. Your kids may develop negative self-talk patterns uh, and end up bullying themselves or bullying others. They may um, develop disempowering ways of handling their stress, like uh, stuffing their emotions or 
with food or with shopping or as they get older with alcohol, cigarettes, other drugs or sex, um, they could increase their risk of suicide. Very you know, appropriate for what we're the, the topic of the show here. Um, they can learn to react to their emotions instead of feeling and considering the significance of their emotions and responding to a situation. They can learn to stir up drama that causes a hornet's nest of problems all amongst them. Um, they can develop unconscious beliefs that they're not lovable, not smart enough, not good enough, et cetera. Um, or that the world is a, a scary, unsafe place. Right. So um, they can learn, sorry? There's a lot of consequences. There are a lot of consequences. They can, they can learn that their achievements and accomplishments are more important than who they are and, and their passions. Um, they can learn to be people pleasers, that it's only safe to do what other people want and expect of you. It's one of the biggest things parents inadvertently do is um, pressure their kids to do the things that parents think are important in life without taking into account what each child's gifts and talents and purpose are. And they can, they can, you know, fail to develop healthy relationship patterns and therefore get themselves into all sorts of misery down the road. So, and then that's, you know, that's a, that's a big list. It's not comprehensive, but it, I think it, it, um, wow. It portrays the, the gravity of the situation and, and it's not to uh, depress or overwhelm parents with guilt in any way, but it is there to, highlight how important the parenting role is in, in ways that we really don't talk about in society and ways we aren't taught to have a positive instead of a negative impact about. Yeah, it's really true that we're not taught the impact that our actions and choices and our modeling has on our kids. I mean, it's, do as I say, not as I do is the joke. I mean, it was the way of being raised and then it became the, the butt end of a lot of jokes. And the reality is we're still doing it to our kids. Mm -hmm. We're still doing it. We're saying, don't pay so much attention to what I've done. Go do it this way. And what you're saying is that that's probably creating more problems than it's solving. Okay. I got it. I don't like it, but I got it. No, nobody likes it, you know, and it's, and, 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 you know, one of the, one of the hardest lessons I've learned uh, over the last 10 years as I've been recovering my health and doing a continuous parenting do-over is that we have to face the music. If we want to improve our lives, we have to take an honest look and assessment of where we are and accept the things that we don't like about where we are, because if we don't accept them, we can't change them. There you go. That makes perfect. It's, it's 
it, it can be very painful at first. And, you know, I, I don't generally like the, uh, the saying, no pain, no gain, um, because I think it often pushes us to, um, to actually cause the very problems I want to solve in the parenting do-over. But, but you know, if, you're, if you are a parent and you're not thrilled with where your own personal life is and with the results you're seeing with your kid, in order to change that, you have to be willing to briefly experience the pain of the reality of where you are so that you can start to make different choices and, and move to where you would prefer to be. Okay, so thank you for addressing that because when we talk about the first step being awareness and the second step being assessing, I appreciate that you put the qualifier. It's a temporary discomfort around the, when, when you look at what you might want to do over, it's going to be uncomfortable, but it's not going to be permanently uncomfortable. Cool. All right. I feel a little reassured. <laughs> but, and one of the things I love about <clears throat> the parenting do-over is that each step you take to what I call unmess up yourself and your kids makes the next step easier and the next step easier and the next step easier. It's a self-fulfilling positive uh, process. And it's hard to go back. Like once you've seen, you know, once you've seen the difference that these changes make, you're not gonna be willing to go back to the messed up way of doing things. Got it. That permanently improves the quality of your life, which by default permanently improves the quality of your kid's life. All right. So there we go. Now, now the pain is already less because we're talking about something that makes a permanent difference in the quality of a relationship. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, isn't that what we all want? We, I mean, we want our kids to succeed and we want them to stay connected with us in the process. We want to be able to maintain a relationship. And I hear story after story of the kids who are successful as they grow up and totally disconnected from the parents. You know, and so the idea is we want it all. We want our kids to be successful and connected to us. And it's often felt like it was an either or choice. Many people have the idea that you can only be successful in one or two areas of life and that there always has to be a sacrifice. Um, you know, that in order to be successful in your career, you have to sacrifice family time in order to, uh, you know, be successful in parenting, you have to sacrifice your career. There's so many examples of that. And I, believe that you don't have to sacrifice anywhere if you're willing to take responsibility for the experience you're creating. And if you have some good principles on which to create that experience. Okay, so, so now you're talking something that is where angels fear to tread. You're talking principles. Now I'm talking what, sorry? Principles. Yeah. You're talking principles. And this is an area of parenting that I don't recall ever attending that class where I got principles for parenting. 
Right. If my parents had principles around parenting, I don't know what they were. And, and that's an enormous gap, which is why so many parents are in this situation of, in a, of, of not knowing how to improve their lives and how to get a better success in their parenting adventure. Well, it is an adventure. There is no doubt. <laughs> and not one for the faint of heart. But if we knew what we were signing up for, we probably would not have an overpopulation problem in the, in the world. Yeah. If we knew what parenting really, really was. Well, if we knew the way it has been, ah. how unprepared we will be in so many moments based on what we've been taught. Oh, yeah. We might not sign up. But if we knew how to raise, if we knew how to create a life that we love in which we feel great and help our kids to do the same, we would probably go into it joyfully. If we knew. So if we knew, and, and that's what I'm aiming to improve upon. Cool. I mean, um, we don't know what we don't know when we start out, but now I know how much I don't know. Yeah. So cool. All right. So what's next? Because you're going to take us into this realm that I've never been into, apparently, with this principled parenting. There's probably a subset. Yeah, or maybe it's your whole next book, but you know. <laughs> so how do you do a do-over? So how people do do-overs is, is different for each family. But what I've found <clears throat> in doing this myself and in working with people on it, because you know I've had... Uh, I've had a functional medicine practice for the last mm, nine years and functional medicine is the branch of medicine where you're looking for the root causes of health problems and addressing those in order to restore health rather than using surgery and pharmaceuticals to maintain an illness. So I've been doing this for a long time and I found that there are seven key areas. They were each and every one absolutely key to my ability to recover my health and improve my career success and improve my relationship with my kids and to unmess them up as much as possible from the ways I had messed them up um, <clears throat> in the early years. Because I was very sick the first 10 years of my kid's life. I was extremely stressed. I had a condition that was a version of post-traumatic stress disorder. So <clears throat> stress level was very high. And, and that usually means that you don't respond with patience and compassion to the situations that come up multiple times every day. <clears throat> Parenting does seem to require patience and compassion and stress is the death of that. There is no doubt. Correct. Right. Yeah. And, and each area that I've, and I didn't have all these things presented to me in a neat package. You know, 10 years ago when I started successfully restoring my health and changing the way I parent, 
Um, I, I learned them here and there and everywhere. And some of them I learned in the order that wasn't optimal. And so, you know, was missing out of something that would have been really helpful before if I'd known it. <clears throat> and, and so when I work with people, we look at where they stand on all seven areas. And then what is the most important thing they want to achieve? And we can't achieve everything at once. We have to figure out where we're going to start. And and we can start with something small, we can start with something big and break it down into small steps. But um, almost always, I found that we have to in some way address each of seven key areas. Cool, all right. And uh, <clears throat> those seven key areas include our physical health. Okay. Um, which is fairly self-explanatory. Uh, our mental health, which I define as our thoughts, our, especially our autopilot habitual thoughts. Um, most people may not be aware that we have somewhere between 60 and 80,000 thoughts a day and upwards of 80% of them are negative, <clears throat> which um, is not a great place to be. Um, our emotional health, and I think mental and emotional health frequently get lumped together and they really can be distinguished, but they are intertwined. All seven areas are really um, completely intertwined <laughs> in, in multiple ways, but they can be differentiated enough to be able to focus on particular aspects. So emotional health is determined by the traumas you've experienced, the, the major big T traumas and the, the many, many, many little T traumas uh, that have accumulated. And by how you were taught to respond to those and how you were, what you were taught about emotions. Are emotions a place you can go or not go? Can you express them? Can you feel them? Those, those types of things. That, that's cool come back to that go or not go i like that yeah and most most people quite honestly in in western cultures have been have been taught that we can only go to the emotions that feel good we can only go to, to happiness and pride and uh, joy uh, but we can't go to anger and frustration and hurt but we have to we have to learn how to go to all of them in order to be successful in life. Um, the next area is your mindset health, which this one was a hard area to name. Um, but for me, it encompasses the unconscious beliefs you developed, um, which are predominantly developed in the first seven years of life and then are really pretty hard set and can, can take uh, significant effort to change, but they can be changed. Um, and it, it, it's the beliefs you hold about yourself and the world. Um, they're they're wide reaching and very um, influential at a subconscious level, kind of driving the bus every day. <clears throat> and many of us aren't, aren't aware of them. Uh, next area is spiritual health, which often we're not even taught exists or 
matters. And, and that is how aligned your life is with who you are and why you're here, as well as how connected to and well, how connected you are to your intuition. Got it. Okay. So that's a very clear definition of spiritual health that sidesteps the whole conversation about religion, which I really appreciate because this is something that I can actually work with. It's not something outside of me. Um, So spiritual health is about alignment with my intuition and all of those other pieces that, that you laid out. Right. And, And who you are and, and why you're, why you're here. You know, what is it that you're here to do? Uh, Not what is it that your parents want you to do? (laughs) What is it that you think you need to do to be successful? But why are you really here? Uh, And too often it's ignored and it has nothing to do with religion. I mean, religion can come in and and religion can play a role. But uh, in my world, it doesn't matter what religion you are when you're talking about spiritual health. Okay, so I love that. I mean, and and yeah, there's some beautiful examples of that. You know, Mother Teresa's why was to alleviate suffering among the poor. Her vehicle for doing that was her religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so cool. All right, so the who I am and the why I'm here, and that's involved with intuition. So there's a lot there we could play with. I, I want to make sure we get all seven, and then you can... Tell me what, uh, yeah, <laughs> I like this, I like this. <laughs> so we've done five. Yeah. Um, the sixth one is relationship health, which is um, how well you understand and respect similarities and differences between people and how and, and your communication skills. Okay, that's a lot. How well you understand the similarities and differences between people and your communication skills around that. Understanding similarities and differences is very different language than what I usually hear around relationships. So what do you usually hear? Um, when you start talking about it, I'm like, the what is it they say we fear what we don't understand and so in relationships when someone's different from us the natural response is fear and so this sounds like the instant magic wand kind of cure almost is if i understand the similarities and differences all of a sudden i'm no longer afraid right So, uh, you know, we have basic similarities with, each of us has basic similarities with every person on the planet. Mm -hmm. And we also have vast differences based on a a wide variety of things. And when we understand how those play together and, The basic, uh, I guess the best way to say this is, so I I discovered fairly recently, uh, a relationship understanding tool, a social structure process or categorization 
that has really turned my world upside down in a positive way. And it's way too much to get into here, but, but it's based on ancient principles and shows how there are different personalities, what makes them up, how within one personality there can be myriad different permutations. So it's not putting you in any sort of box. How the personalities relate to each other. And particularly how couples will tend to be one each in a pair of personalities that complement each other. I struggled there because I didn't want to say complete or make each other whole because we're each whole and complete in and of ourselves, but we have skills and talents and ways of looking at the world that um, are complemented by the opposite personality in our, um, it's called a law group, too much to get into. But, but when you understand that, the things that, what, what, what has been so beautiful about this is it has helped me to understand the things about my husband that I loved and the things that drove me crazy and vice versa for him about me. Got it. So and, and it's helped me to understand why I click instantly with certain people and have a really hard time clicking with other people. Got it. And, and how, and what, what I do have in, in common with the people I have trouble clicking with that can allow me to relate to them in a much more positive way and how all six of the personality groups are necessary for success as a society, for success in any business structure. But not necessarily, you, you can't have them all within a family necessarily. That's, it's random and, and by chance. But, but how each is really important to success of, of the world as a whole and in, but in very different ways and how we need to learn how to interact and, and um, collaborate how together. So this is really the, the relationship health when we're looking at the parenting do-over, it's kind of a, a, a microcosm of the relationship health of the world. If we start solving it here, it's going to solve it out there. Right, right. And I think, you know, uh, most parents who have two kids, definitely most who have three or four or five, you know, the more kids you have, the more likely it is that you really clicked with one or more of them and you've had trouble clicking with another. Got it. Like you have one kid that like just, you just, you don't get what makes them tick. They push your buttons so much and you don't understand why. And you love them, but you're having a real hard time 
getting cooperation from them or getting through to them or relating on the same plane. And this is where understanding which personality you're in and which one they're in can completely turn around a parenting situation. It has, it has done that for me um, this year as, as a parent and also as a, as also as a daughter and a sister, it's turned it around for me amazingly. Um, so it's, it's a very important aspect to help us stop banging our head against the wall. <laughs> yeah, important because you can get a sore head. All right. Oh. So physical or, or concussion even worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I got some hard-headed siblings. I get this. Uh, not that I'm hard-headed, but physical health, mental health, emotional health, mindset health, spiritual health, relationship health, What's left? So the last one is really exclusive to parenting. The, the first six are ones that everyone has and, and needs to have ability to be successful in. The last one is developmental health. Um, so as a parent, it's important to understand something that we're not taught which is the different developmental levels that children go through and their needs and abilities at those stages. Because if we don't know that, then we probably will not fulfill their needs, which is the definition of how you mess up your kid. And if we expect them to be capable of more or less, then they're truly capable of at any given stage, we create all sorts of friction and uh, you know, mess them up in, in different ways and mess up ourselves and feel like we're failing or you know. So uh, it's critical to understand uh, the ages and stages of childhood. And yeah. it's it's not taught. <laughs> be more parenting for most people it's, it's taught in you know it's taught somewhat in pediatrics it's taught somewhat in psychology courses but it is certainly not taught in the general public no it's i mean it was really interesting to me that babysitters get more education in early childhood development than parents do well, child care workers, not necessarily babysitters. Well, and in, in the states that have babysitter training, they actually go there. Correct. If they've had, yes, babysitter training will give people more of that than. And certainly child care professionals, um, but not always true. It's, it's not always true. And so the idea that the ages and stages is something that if we address them, we, it's easier to do a parent do-over. Well, yeah, and if, right, and, and you'll understand, you know, we can't go back and do things differently in the stage that's past, but we can do things at any time to meet unmet needs and, and change the trajectory. Okay, so you're, thank you. That's really, really, really key. So it's not that we can go back, like you said, we don't have a time machine. 
can't go back and, and change what we've done, but we can start where we are and start meeting the needs. And so thank you, by the way, for um, all of this. Let's see. <laughs> what I wanted was to have a quick thought and it took off on its own. So I'm going to come back to it and go, oh, I know what it was. For anybody who wasn't able to keep up and take notes, take heart. Yeah, because that's why we mentioned the guide and, you know, earlier on. That guide is for everybody who's on this call. And I can't thank you enough for bringing that information into this realm, Dr. Marnie, and putting it into a guide that walks parents through these seven areas. And so thank you, Katie. So it's in the chat box for everybody. Seven keys to a successful parenting do-over. And we, yeah, I'm going to speak for me. I'm going to be reading this guide. You know, my kids are older. We're not going to out them for how old they are. I've got grandkids taller than me. That's a clue. Yeah. So this is hope for the um, chronic discomfort that we didn't parent perfectly. So and, and we can't. We can't parent perfectly. Uh, and we can almost always do better. And and I think I want to address what you said about you know the age of your kids and, and grandkids and um, the parenting do-over um, you know, I, I, I think it's safe to say it's most impactful when your kids are still at, at home because they're young enough that they should still be at home. <laughs> and, <laughs> age appropriate home, age appropriate home still. Got that. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's most effective done earlier because they, you will have had less opportunity to mess them up there before there'll be less to unmess up, et cetera, right? Um, and the parenting do-over is as much for you as it is for your kids. And it will positively impact your kids no matter what age you are or they are when you take it on. And if you're a grandparent, it will positively impact your grandkids if you do it, regardless of whether their parents do it or not. Obviously, if, I hope obviously, if both you and their parents do it, it will impact them, the kids more. But the mere fact that a grandparent is taking these efforts is a great modeling that you can make positive changes at any age. And it shows that, you know, you care enough about your kids and you recognize that, you know what, I didn't know as much as I wish I would have known. So I'm going to pause you long enough to put something into place here because we had a question in the chat that I can't answer and you're going to have to just really quickly walk this if you can. She's about neurodiversity with ages and stages. So is there, I'm just going to ask it this way. Is there a... Is there a way of addressing neurodiversity in ages and stages that's in the guide or is it a separate conversation? Let's just get clarity on the conversation. It's not addressed specifically in the guide, but what is addressed specifically? So I'm, Valerie, can you be a, a little more specific? I'm in, in the chat. 
Valerie's going to have to take that into the VIP to have that conversation because okay, I'm not 100% sure what she means by neurodiversity. I'm imagining, okay. I'm imagining that she means, um, you know, different, uh, different things that it can, can affect the way the brain works. Got it. Okay. So uh, without, without a clear so understanding of learning, what learning disabilities, Okay. behavioral issues, psychiatric stuff. I'm, I'm guessing that that's what so, she means. Valerie, and, can you put it just yes or no? Is, are we on the right track that what you're talking about are neurological challenges that could impact kids at different stages? And so a yes or no would be great just to know if that's what you meant by neurodiversity. And I love the fact that we were able to touch that. And so there's a... Um, yeah, she, she's talking about the fact that parents don't realize that neurodiversity, right. these kinds of issues can delay. Of so, course. yeah, we're, we're so, going to go with a guide being a guide, Valerie. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. address everything that it could possibly address. But what it does address is this idea that just because you missed addressing something in an earlier stage doesn't mean you can't address it now. Right. And it's very true that children progress through the stages differently based on many different variables. And, you know, what's important is to have a basic knowledge and then to endeavor to understand, are your children in what we would call, you know, I... Are they in a, in a normal range for their age or do they have special needs? Because of course that will affect the way you parent them, but it doesn't change the principles of what we, what we can do as parents to maximize setting our kids up for a successful adult life, which is the point of the parenting do-over. There we go. And since assessing where your kids are and where you are is part of this seven-step guide, the um, seven keys, it's, it is important for people to recognize that it's, you said it before, it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all answer. And so I appreciate you so much for coming on, sharing all of this, helping us wake up to the fact of what the problem is and that there's something we can do about it at any age or stage that we are. Even right. grandparents is so very, very helpful and hopeful, Dr. Marnie. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for bringing- You are so welcome. Thank you for uh, inviting me. And I, I'd like to- Put in one more plug, if I may, quickly. I know we're at the top of the hour. Um, we did not talk about um, one of the main reasons I'm here on the Suicide Prevention Show. And we don't have to. And the reason I'm going to say that is because that's got nothing to do with this conversation about being a parent do-over in my mind. Hmm, I think it does. You brought it up. Okay. <laughs> I will, I, will, I will do it very quickly. Um, I hope. <laughs> One of the things that's most important about the parenting do-over is that it sets up you and your family to have the resilience it takes to get through the toughest situations in life and come out stronger and happier. 
And my family is living proof of that because three and a half years ago, my husband died by suicide. And as a result of the work I had done prior to that on my own parenting do-over, which included restoring my health, um, my children and I were able to get through that um, with minimal pain. And you can't erase the pain of losing a spouse or a, a parent, but you know, parent suicide is often something that tremendously impacts and messes up kids. And you know, granted, we're only three and a half years out, but uh, there's been, you know, my kids are thriving, and they have have, have not had the common trajectory that so many families have in that circumstance. And so the parenting do-over is not just about fixing or improving things from the past, it's also about maximizing your success in the future. There we go. Thank you. A way to build emotional resilience in both yourself and your children and your grandchildren. Thank you for bringing that to us, Dr. Mike. Thank you.